said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Pastor Barent Neustraten. So good morning and as I always say, Shabbat Shalom. Let's bow our heads for a, a moment. Heavenly Father, as we open your word, I pray that you give me the wisdom to say what I should say. The topic is perhaps a difficult one to grasp, but Lord, it is so essential that we get to know you more and more. And what better way than through the sanctuary as the psalmist said so long ago. So bless this, uh, bless the, the people, Make us retentive and attentive in Jesus' precious name. Amen. The Hebrew word for the, the most holy place um, is the Kodesh HaKodeshim. Uh, that is the most holy. It means really literally the holies of holies. Uh, suppositions are implied. And I tell you how important this is. The Seventh-day Adventist Church had its origin in the most holy place. And I hope to explain that this morning. And I hope that you will be attentive. I know it's a difficult one today because I'm teaching more than preaching again this morning. You can perhaps imagine that the ancient temple, the ancient tabernacle there in the wilderness is so long ago and what possible application might it have today? Everything. Everything that I see happening today always brings me to the holy place, most holy place. That is where I recognize that the end is very soon, that Jesus is coming very soon. And it is made so clear when you study the most holy place. Just to go back again to what we talked about before. There are three phases. There are three phases in our salvation. There is the justification, the sanctification, and the glorification. The justification is the payment for your sins. Jesus did that here on earth. And therefore, it finds place in the courtyard, which represents the world. The next thing is a combination of what happens in the world and what happens in the holy place. In the holy place, you have the ministry of Jesus in the heavenly sanctuary. Because there's no earthly sanctuary. There's only a heavenly one at this stage. And so, we are the recipients of the sanctification that he brings about through the agency of the Holy Spirit and by which we are, we would say, born again. The Hebrew would say born from above. And then we have the glorification, which is really a matter in heaven. And in heaven there, we have, of course, the pre-advent investigative judgment, which is so essential, so essential to our eternal destiny. The building proper is a copy of the pattern. That is what Moses was asked to, to build. 
And the three phases, the justification, the sanctification, and the glorification were explained to the people. They had to understand. They didn't have a Bible as you and I have it, so the only way to learn was through the sanctuary. The justification finds place at Calvary where he pays for the sins. And the way is clear for your, what shall we say, the sanctification. And then, of course, ultimately it will lead to the judgment where you will be judged worthy to be part of glorification. There is a Hebrew word ga'al and or go'el, which is the kinsman. Jesus is our kinsman. The most incredible reality of the plan of salvation is that Jesus becomes our kinsman, our nearest kinsman. The God of the universe becomes our nearest kinsman. And it's very important that we recognize that. There are three particular roles of a kinsman. One of them is a redeemer. The redeemer pays the debt. Jesus paid the debt of Calvary. He paid it all. That's what he said on the cross. And as a kinsman, he wants to be closer to us. And in the heavenly place, the heavenly holy place, through his ministrations, through the agency of the Holy Spirit, he's sanctifying us, trying to pull him, to pull us to him. So we become even closer as a kinsman. And then, of course, there is the adventure which is also an important role, and I'll explain that when we deal with the millennium in a minute. About a few minutes. The most holy place, the justification is daily, the sanctification is daily. It's a process that goes on and on. Justification a moment in time, by all means, but sanctification a process of time. And then, of course, you have the once yearly, which the Hebrews still, the Jewish people still celebrate today as being their most holy day, the Yom Kippur. Does anybody know what Kippur means? <coughs> ah, who said that? Oh, very good. Thank you so much. Uh, I was almost despair. Kafar. Kafar means to cover, and we get the word kippur from that as an adjective. So this is, a, this is a day of covering. What is to be covered? Well, our sins. You say they are to be forgiven. That is true. But here is a principle that you learn from the most holy place. We've all sinned, right? Right? thought for a moment I was the only one. <laughs> so we've all sinned and we're forgiven because we ask for forgiveness. That is, that is correct. But the record of our sins is still there. And there is an accuser who will accuse you still and accuse God for not just forgiving you, but for the glorification that we, that means eternal life that he will give you. And so let's move on. This is an important principle, very important. The Yom Kippur is the day that there is the express role 
which can only be executed by the high priest. That one day, the tenth day of the seventh month of the month of Tisra, which is the seventh month of the Jewish civil calendar, it's the only day that he can go into the most holy place. And there's a certain ritual which I won't go into. But what is important, he then enters the presence of God. In fact, it is also called the Day of Atonement. And I like that in English, at one month. Our desire, our ambition, what we want, what we need, is an at one month with God. That is what we need. And so, as he has changed his magnificent attire as a high priest, the ephod and the, the, the breastplate and everything, he's removed that. He goes in the linen garment in simplicity. He goes and he goes into the most holy place and he knows he is in the presence of God. The Shekinah glory is there between the cherubim and you can imagine a mortal being getting that close to God. And there were things that he had to do. And the one thing that he really had to do was the sprinkling of the blood of the Lord's goat. Let me explain something to you. You know, you, you, you may not often turn to this part of the Bible, but you should know this. The Lord's goat. There were two goats selected on that day. One was the Lord's goat and the other one was very good, excellent. Give me the other name for the scapegoat. Azazel. That's good. Oh, I love it when I, when I get the answers and when they're right. It's very good. Very encouraging. Well, the Lord's goat was the one that was offered as a sin offering or a burnt offering, which is very similar. What did not happen to the Lord's goat is that the priest in this instance or anybody else would place their hands on the head of the goat and confess their sins. There are no sins to be confessed on the Lord's goat because the Lord's goat is without sin. Get the picture? Blood either contaminates or it cleanses. This blood of the Lord's goat cleanses. That's one lesson that you need to take from the most holy place and the writ on the tenth day of the seventh month, the Yom Kippur. The blood of Jesus cleanses. And so the priest goes into the holy place and he knows where he's at and he sprinkles some of the blood that he had collected from the animal when it was sacrificed on the altar and he brings it in and he puts it on the lid of the of the ark of the covenant now I've got to explain a little bit more here the ark of the covenant by the Hebrews is considered to be two pieces of furniture you have the box itself the ark in it are what the ten commandments let's just stay with that and that is the covenant that we have with God that we should have kept that and didn't then there is the covering and the name of the covering of the lid which was solid gold the heaviest part of, of, of the furniture of the holy place 
It was called kapored. It means a covering. It covers the sins. Or it covers the law that would kill you. The law had been broken. And therefore there was the blood of the Lord's goat that was the full payment for the sins. Of all the sins of the world, John says in his epistle, there was a payment made in the courtyard, Calvary, fully paid. Remember that I explained to you that, what Jesus said, Hava Shalom, it's fully paid. And so there's a full payment. Then what he does, he goes, leaves the most holy place, puts in his high priestly attire again, and then he puts the blood on the four horns of the altar of intercession in the holy place, cleansing the records of the sins. Because in the courtyard, he often takes the blood from the animal of sacrifice. He goes into the holy place pleading for the petitioner. And as he does that, as he does that, he puts the blood on the four horns, which is the record of your sin, or he might even sprinkle it against the veil. Now, you say, well, what does that do for me? We think of Jesus and we think of Calvary. True. But I think of him as my priest in heaven. I think of him in the most holy place as my judge and my advocate. Then I get a complete picture of Jesus. And I suppose this morning this is what I'm trying to do here. To bring this home to you. And then when he has cleansed that curtain. That curtain was a few inches thick by the way. Every year after the Day of Atonement it was replaced by a new one. The moment the Day of Atonement was over, they began to wave the next one. So it could be hung on the next Day of Atonement, after the ceremony. Then he takes the blood and he goes into the courtyard and he places, he places the blood on the, on, on, on the four horns of the altar of sacrifice. One day, if there was enough interest, I would be delighted to take you through the sanctuary and teach you more ins and outs of it and maybe one day we will be able to do that. The blood of the Lord's God cleanses. We all clear about that? Very good, excellent. That is what was done on the Day of Atonement. So there is a removal of the records of your sin. The sins that have been confessed. The sins that have been repented of. The sins that are forgiven. Those sins the records are in the holy place, but it doesn't belong there. And on the day of atonement, it is removed because it's between you and God. In the courtyard, the sinner is absolutely forgiven. The sin and the sinner are separated. That is true. But the record must be still dealt with. And this is so important to us as a people 
who have a very particular message which we'll come to in a minute. Many times I've been at the Wailing Wall, the Kodomara, I used to live just around the corner from there in the old city. And I used to observe the Jews. And it is a magnificent sight on the Day of Atonement. It's fascinating. But their ceremony is incomplete. Totally incomplete. They know, they know about this. They know about an investigative judgment because the traditional greeting from one Jew to the other is, I hope that your name is retained in the book of life. That's the greeting on the Day of Atonement. I hope that your name has been retained in the book of life. They know there need to be a covering, there need to be a reconciliation, but you know what is missing? Yeah. The blood of the Lord's goat is missing. They can't do it in type because the western wall, the, 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 the wailing wall, is only a support wall on the western side of what used to be the temple side. Where now you have the third most holy place of Islam. And you can forget about ever rebuilding. You can forget about ever rebuilding the temple again. So this is the nearest place and the emotions are high. I've many times seen them. And so the problem is, in type they can't make a sacrifice because it can only be in one place, the actual temple site. So they can't sacrifice. Even in type, that is not the blood of the Lord's goat. It's not available. And the anti-typical one that they should have accepted, they don't accept. There is no cleansing blood. The Jewish people are on the road of perdition. As is anybody else without the cleansing blood of the Lord's God. Can you see that? Can you see that? That's good. We need what we understand to be the robe of righteousness. As I said, the question in the judgment is to be or not to be retained in the book of life. That is what it is about. Isaiah 61 has a beautiful text. Love it. Verse 10. Have a look at this. For he, God, has clothed me with the garments of salvation... He has covered me with the robe of... That's it. It's a biblical principle. The righteousness of Christ is the robe of righteousness that all of us, every one of us, desperately needs. And we're being fitted for that actually right here because this is where your sanctification finds place. And in the judgment, the robe of righteousness guarantees access. And therefore, in a sense, for he has clothed me with the garments of righteousness, uh, is an interesting statement because the question is, is God entitled to do that to you? Because really, God is on trial. Because we talked about the hour of his judgment. And we always think that you and I are being judged. And yes, we're being looked at. But it is also the judgment of God. Is God just... That is Lucifer. That's Satan. 
He's lost. And there are many, many, many fallen angels with him, demons, today. There is no way of escape their predicament. They certainly are going to petition. There is nothing that God could have shown them in the past that would have changed them. He bore long with them. And they know that they have a certain amount of time to go. In fact, the Bible says Satan knows he has a short time. And he does. If God can't forgive them, why is he justified in forgiving us? And that is a good argument. If you go to the book of Daniel, the book of Daniel tells you so much. It's a sanctuary book, chapter 8. And I just pick a few verses. I love this one. For 2,300 days, and then the sanctuary shall be what? That is the process on the Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, when the Lord's God blood cleanses the records of your sin. Taking it away from the sanctuary, cleansing the sanctuary from the records of your sin. Are you with me? Are you getting the picture? Please, it applies to every single one of us here today. Don't think it's not important. It is extremely important. That word nitztak is um, in Daniel 8.14 is the only time you find it in that particular conjugation. It really means that there is a sanctuary that is the recipient of the cleansing. It's a very intense statement. Now there is something very interesting. People look at that text. And sometimes we're accused of reading into it what might not be there. I want to talk to you about this text. It was set in the third year of a king called Belshazzar. Remember King Belshazzar? We can date this, 548 BC. 2,300 days. How many years in 2,300 days? I know you've worked worked it out already. 6.3. I know you you knew it. 6.3. The year is 548. The temple, the Jewish temple, the Solomonic temple, is in ruins has been for 38 years. It was destroyed in 586 BC. That one can't be cleansed unless you rebuild it in 6.3 years. Well, good luck to that. In fact, the next temple, which was called the Zerubbabel Temple, the second temple, later being known as Herod's Temple, the Zerubbabel Temple was dedicated in the year 516 BC, which is 32 years away from the time, the year that this prophecy was given. Are you seeing something now that you might not have seen before? What I'm trying to tell you about this is there is a prediction here which is marvelous. Because we now understand that we can't be talking about a literal 2,300 years, a day. Give it away, didn't I? 
we're not talking about a literal 2,300 days. There is a year-day principle in apocalyptic prophecy which helps you to unlock the prophecies and gives you tremendous insight. This is the longest-term prophecy datable and I'm going to say unequivocally brings us at its culmination at 1844, which I'm not going to explain here and now because of the constraint of time. But I could easily defend that. You and I are based on this statement as a denomination. Because the culmination, if the year-day principle is applied as is recognized by commentators and scholars will bring us to the date of 1844. Now you say, why don't other denominations accept this? Well, they would have to be part of our denomination. Because this is what we believe. This is what we preach and teach. Do you see that there is a necessity of a year-day principle because it cannot mean literal days. Is that all clear to everybody here? Okay, let's continue. It has to be cleansed from the records of us in the earthly sanctuary was cleansed yearly, as you know. The earthly sanctuary was in ruins, and I've explained that to you. And so we have, in a sense, we have, annually we have a type that really points to the antitype. And the question, the question that we must ask, which sanctuary shall be cleansed? And there is only one possible answer. It is what we believe. It is the cleansing of the heavenly sanctuary, because there is no earthly sanctuary. It's proven from the text and known history. This is the point. Type meets I like the picture where you see Jesus with the person next to him. Be not there in person. It really gives the wrong impression that we will appear in person. No, we don't. We don't, you don't know, I don't know when my case comes up in heaven. But every one of us is being judged, will be looked at. It's only a matter if the rope of righteousness will be given to you. Get it? Have you confessed all your sins? Have the sins gone before you? The forgiven sins, the repented sins, only forgiven sins can be overcome, by the way. And was he entitled by my surrender to him? Was God entitled to really justify it? To forgive me, not just my sins, but to also remove the records of my sin. There is going to be a stage one day that you will walk around no matter where you will go. And nobody, not you even included, will remember a single sin that you have perpetrated whilst living on this planet. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Can't wait. Can't wait be marvelous. Let's have a look at the scapegoat. The scapegoat is an interesting case. Azazel. You could debate what Azazel really means. It means a fallen angel and very negative connotation. 
Now, have a look at this. Get it from Leviticus. Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the life goat. This is the one that's called Azazel, the scapegoat. He confesses over it, notice, all the iniquity of the children of Israel, all the, the transgressions, all their sins, all their sins, these are the confessed sins of who? Israel. Israel means overcoming with God. It's another meaning of the, of, of the name. So these are the confessed sins. These are, these are by the way, the, 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 the records of our sins. And, and these are the forgiven sins. You know the wonderful thing? I can hate Satan sometimes. I hate him for what he does in the world. I turn on the news and I see people completely captivated by him. In their callousness, indifference, cruelty, bestiality, misconduct. And there's a whole list. I hate what he tries to get in me to do in my life. There's a stage where you definitely end up hating sin more than you love sin. Because you hate sinning. And that's where you need to go. Well, all the confessed sins, I have one way, one chance you have. One chance, one way only to ever get back at Satan. Make sure that your confessed sins, your forgiven sins, your sins that are removed by Jesus from the records that in the heavenly sanctuary, make sure that they are placed on Azazel, who actually represents Satan. Get that? Did you all get that? Okay, very good. Now, have a look at this. So he is an avenger as well, Jesus, the nearest kinsman, the redeemer. And I'll take you to the, to the reality of the millennium. Putting them on the head of the goat shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. That goat, that Azazel goat, who now is the bearer of all the sins, not in a redemptive way, you understand, but as guilt, as a liability, is reportedly used to have a red cord around its horns. I'm not sure whether that was really true. That one is sent into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. The goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to an uninhabited land. He shall release the goat in the wilderness, and that is where it perishes. Now, here is the millennium. Just before us. Jesus comes, it's the commencement of the millennium. This earth will be a devastated planet. Devastated. Absolutely devastated. So what would the goat be doing there if it actually, as we know, it is actually Satan? Satan is actually sentenced. He is sentenced to a prison sentence for a thousand years. Incarcerated at the place where he perpetrated his offenses, this planet. He has a thousand years with the demons 
And, and, and I don't know whether they get on now, but they won't get on then, and it'll be hell on earth for all of them. There is no human being alive. There is a destroyed planet, and there is the anti-typical Azazel is confined to a planet which is absolutely devastated. And then it gets worse for him. You go to Revelation 20. In fact, if I just go back, he would be bound for a thousand years. You find that in the 20th chapter, the first two verses. And then you go on further. The devil who deceived them, note this, was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. Satan is condemned to death. He has a death sentence over him. And he knows it. At the end of the thousand years, at the end of the millennium, it'll be over. He will be thrown into the fire. Now, I don't know why they taught me, and many of you have been taught, if you're good, you go to heaven straight away. If you're bad, you go... And I always thought that'd be me. I wasn't that bad, but I was not good either. And there is Satan having the privilege and the pleasure of inflicting pain and misery, which he so excels in, for times and throughout eternity. What a reward for, for Satan. That's not true. Satan knows his number, if you like, is soon, well, a little over a thousand years from now anyway will be up. That's amazing. I was when I when I learned this and I learned it from this 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 denomination, I thought to myself, that's my church. That's my church. And for many other reasons as well. And so double vision. Don't you hate it when you see double? I don't know when the last time was. Now, the book of Daniel, chapter 7, is like that. There's a double vision. Just to quote you a few texts. Daniel 7 is unique. Because he sees earthly events that, is, that are finding place, that are finding place or politically, militarily in this world. He sees and he records world history. I want to stress this. Daniel records or actually prophesies world history. And I'll prove the fact that he's a prophet in a minute as well. And so, and so he, he sees what's happening in a horizontal level. And then he also looks up and he sees what's happening in heaven. And if you synchronize the two, you get a chronology. You get a chronology from what happens in heaven. Are you with me here, everybody? I don't want to go into resentment time, but you need to know this. This is important. Now, so let's have a look at it. Let's have a look at it. I watched till thrones were put in place, a heavenly vision. The Ancient of Days was seated, his garments white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. That's the only description you'll find of God the Father in the Bible. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels are burning fire, he is mobile, God can move anywhere. That's what it in symbolism is saying. 
a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand, here is the explanation of the fiery stream, thousands minister to him. Who is ministering to him? Angels. This is a judgment scene, as you will see. People ask me sometimes, is there in heaven like, a, like the portable one? You know, it was a square and it was so big and this wide and this high. Is there something like that in heaven? How are you going to place, look at the, look at the next like, statement, 10,000 times 10,000. In the Hebraic expression here, it means innumerable. You talk about billions of angels being present. Billions. The majesty of that scenery must have been something, as Daniel observed that. It must have been something. Notice, the court was seated. Get it? Why did we never pick it up in the previous churches? The court was seated and the books were open. That means there is an investigation, isn't it? So we have in heaven, notice, this is recorded, if I have to put a, this is Daniel chapter 7, this is the year 551 BC. He is looking, he is looking down the ages for some 2,394 years. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. He's looking there and he sees the judgment. That finds place in 1844 A.D. Not only that, he sees an investigative judgment. Note, note what, what he says here further on. I was watching in the night vision. Behold, one like... Who's this? This is Aramaic. Chapter 7 is in Aramaic. Kavar Enos... It means generically it's a human being. The one who walks into this incredible scenery is a human being. The year that he sees that is 551 BC. He therefore predicts that one day, we talk about Jesus here and that will become plain as we continue. He predicts that Jesus will come and he brings his humanity with him into heaven. That's my point. Jesus took his humanity with him. To, and in fact, he is predicting that Jesus would have been successful in what's described in the ninth chapter as, as, as the one that causes the oblation and the sacrifice to finish. Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. Book of Daniel says so. The ultimate sacrifice... He dies, he gives his life, he will be cut off. It's all there in the book of Daniel. Book of Daniel, there's a gospel in the book of Daniel. Incredible. And so, and so he predicts therefore his resurrection. He predicts therefore that his humanity is taken with him to heaven. Why? Because in the holy place where he works out your sanctification, it is wonderful to know that the one that is working out your sanctification is fully human as well. He knows all about being tempted. Wasn't he tempted in all points as we are? 
Isn't that what it says? He understands. There's one thing you need to know. Your heavenly high priest knows what you go through. He knows what you feel. And that's good to know. Because he's also human. And then he becomes the judge. Have a look at this. Coming with the clouds of heaven. Now clouds of heaven are billions of angels in the distance. This is a divine attire. This is divinity. This is a God man. This is, this is the one who comes to the ancient of days, which is God the Father. And they brought him near before him. Who walks in? When you, when you have a court setting. When you, you, you've all been to court sooner or later. You have, haven't you? It doesn't have to be a bad thing. Everybody's there. Everybody sits there. And then the, the last person that walks in is who? Oh, it's the judge. And all judgment has been given to the Son of Man. Is that what Jesus said? That's true. That's him. That's him. 551 BC, he sees it. He sees it. Then to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. All peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away. I love this. And his kingdom, the one that will not be destroyed ever, ever. And then it's reaffirmed again by an affirmation of a heavenly being, most likely Gabriel, who is gives him an explanation of the vision again to make sure he gets it. The court shall be seated. And that's 1844. And they shall take away his dominion and destroy it forever. And that refers, of course, to the little horn power in the context. Now, it's marvelous that all the reformers, I talk about Luther, Calvin, Swingley, just Jerome, Melanchthon, they all, they all knew that the little horn power of the book of Daniel was the papacy. Now, I know it's not a correct politically thing to say, but there has to be an understanding that for over 12, say, well, the Bible quotes it as 1260 years. There has been an intense, immense persecution where truth was attacked. And if you wanted to live the truth, you were being attacked. The, the greatest persecuting institution has been that institution as the medieval church. You say that was the medieval church. We should forget about it. No, don't forget about it. You still have a tough time to go just before Jesus returns. And we still need to be on guard and well prepared. And so it is that this entity will come to an end as it opposes those who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. There you have it. That the kingdom and dominion, the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. Saints? Yeah, saints. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. All dominions shall serve and obey him. And now here's a little bit of, I like to throw in. 1947, there was this magnificent uh, archaeological find of the, of the Qumran caves where they found all the Dead Sea Scrolls as they were named. Well, it is interesting that when you look it's interesting when you look at in cave number one, and I'll just quickly go through it, and really there are the various parts that are found in that cave, and then these were found in cave number four. 
These were either leather fragments or there were papyri details. Both can be uh, carbon-14 dated and they worked out between one to two centuries BC. And they found of all the chapters of the book of Daniel, with the exception of 12, they found fragments, meaning it was one literary device. So we have already the knowledge that the book of Daniel was written uh, because these were copies of copies of copies, everybody understood that, before 2nd century BC. So I look at all the history after the 2nd century BC, which Daniel predicted anyway, he could have only known that if he was under inspiration, is that true? Has he been right all the way? Oh yes. But here is an interesting one that I love. Have you ever heard of Flavius Josephus? Yeah, very prolific. He born in 37 AD and he died most likely in about 100 AD. The very prolific Jewish historian. He wrote a paper against a man by the name of Apian who was a Latin critic of the Jewish religion. Now he died himself in 40, 48 AD. And it was just written after that that Josephus defended the Jewish uh, belief, which is what they believe is what's in the Old Testament. Well, if they interpreted it correctly, it's the Old Testament. They have the same Old Testament as you and I have. That's their Bible, you understand, the Tanakh. Okay, this is what he wrote. From the days, from the death of Moses until Artaxerxes. Now, Artaxerxes Longimanus ruled from 465 to 424 BC. Um, let me, let me um, Ezra, Nehemiah, they served under him. They did. He was actually the son of Xerxes, uh, that is the Ahasuerus of the book of Esther. Get it? What this man is saying here is absolutely brilliant. He's saying that the prophets subsequent to Moses wrote the history of the events of their own times in 13 books, that is their composition. From Artaxerxes to our own time, the complete history has been written, and that includes the book of Daniel. No book was written after 424 A, I'm sorry, BC. That means Daniel that was incorporated in the canon of the Tanakh must have been written before 424 BC. And that gives you all the history of the book of Daniel from when they took over, the Persians took over from the Babylonians. And if you study the 11th chapter of the book of Daniel, it is magnificent in history. It is absolutely mind-boggling how accurate it has been. And that makes Daniel, as Jesus called him, a prophet. That makes everything that Daniel is teaching here truth. Absolute truth. And Jesus even referred to Daniel, the prophet, of course. And so we have the commission, the mighty angel, the little book, Revelation chapter 10, when he says you must prophesy again because it was done before and there was an error made in the event. We know that the great disappointment. But we have to go worldwide and this is really the birth. This is really the birth of the Seventh-day Adventist Church once they recognize the Seventh-day Sabbath as well. Earth's final warning message is entrusted to these people that are seated here and the ones that have gone before us. 
saying with a loud voice, this is present day truth. The everlasting gospel was there always, but the present day truth. Fear God, give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. Do you know it came on time? The great disappointment as predicted came on time. And we as a denomination, we came on time because we are prophesying again. Is that true? And so, worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. And that is a clear reference to a seventh day Sabbath because that's the memorial of creation. We are creationists. If you not, see me afterwards. Drawing to a conclusion, as the full meaning of the third angel's message dawned upon the Advent believers more and more, they came to realize that it was a message for the world, that it was to be proclaimed before many people, nations, tongues, and kings. I like that. I like the picture. <clears throat> Our forebearers prayed, they studied together. A great deal. They humbled themselves before God. And they were given magnificent truths. That makes about 28 fundamental beliefs. Magnificent. And we ought to continue to do this. It is important that we do this. In evangelism, page 221. It this he wrote during a crisis in 1906. In which certain of our basic teaching of seven days Adventists was threatened. She says this, the correct understanding of the ministration in the heavenly sanctuary, that is the holy and the most holy place, the correct understanding of the ministration of Christ, of course, of the ministration in the heavenly sanctuary is the foundation of our faith. That's who we are. That's who we are. Misinformation, you know. I watch the news a great deal because of what's happening in Ukraine. And I cannot believe the misinformation that the aggressor is proponing and giving to its own people and tries to take it to the rest of the world. I can, I can get angry. But these people are as much a victim because they're in the clutches of Satan. This cruelty and uh, cannot be any anyway ever justified. Misinformation is terrible, and we have plenty of misinformation in our societies too about so many things. But if you look at the hundreds of denominations of Christian Christian churches, I can see a lot of misinformation too. And we must be making sure, by the grace of God, that we never found guilty of that. Because misinformation is more dangerous than no information. And so, Jesus said this to the Pharisees that were around him. You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. Satan wanted to kill Jesus, and so did the Pharisees. They hated him. He was a murderer from the beginning, is what Jesus said. He does not stand in the truth. There is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks it from his own resources. Boy, what an interpretation for today's world. For he is a liar and he is the father of it. 
We must guard against any untruth. Only the truth will do. Because Jesus says he is the truth and the life. And by the way, folks, God is in control always. Always. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we had the privilege of studying your word. Lord, that it may speak to us and that it may fortify our minds and the resolve to live the way you want us to live. Help us to proclaim the truth that has been entrusted to us. And for this we pray in Jesus' incredible, beautiful name. Amen. God bless you. This message was made available by the Watara Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit waitarachurch.org.au. Take, dear Lord, the place of thine. Thy blood hath pardoned, bought for me, and I shall stand complete in thee. Yea, justified, O blessed thought, and sanctified salvation wrought. Thy blood hath pardoned, bought for me, and glorified I too shall be. Complete in thee, each want supplied, and no good thing to me denied. Since thou my portion, Lord, will be, I ask no more. Complete in thee, yea, justified, O blessed thought, and sanctified salvation wrought. Thy blood hath pardoned, bought for me, and glorified I too shall be. Complete in thee, no more shall sin, thy grace has conquered reign within. Thy blood shall bid the tempter flee, and I shall stand complete in thee. Justified, O blessed thought, and sanctified salvation wrought. Thy blood hath pardoned, bought for me, and glorified I too shall be. Dear Savior, when before thy bar all tribes and tongues assembled are among the children. And I shall be at thy right hand, complete in thee. Yea, justified, O blessed thought, and sanctified salvation wrought. Thy blood hath pardoned, bought for me, and glorified I too shall be. Thy blood hath pardoned, bought for me. And glorify
Ben Everson sang Complete in Thee. Up next, Hallelujah to the Lamb by the Clark family. It was told that Christ would come and the race he would run. It seemed to end on an old rugged cross. But when they laid him in that tomb, the power of God went in that room. And now By his stripes we are healed, and by his blood we are sealed. Oh, hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Now church, he's coming back someday to take us home with him to stay. It sounds we will all be glory bound up there will live forevermore. Oh, hallelujah to the Lamb, hallelujah to the Lamb that was slain upon a tree. By his stripes we are healed. By his blood we are sealed. Oh, hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Oh, hallelujah to the Lamb. Hallelujah to the Lamb that was slain upon a tree. By his stripes we are healed, and by his blood. Oh, hallelujah to the Lamb of God. By His stripes we are healed. By His blood we are sealed. Oh, hallelujah to the Lamb of God. This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.